Hello and thank you for listening to episode 18 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and in this episode I'm joined by my first returning guest. Uh, he joined me on episode 1 where we concentrated on all of the work that he'd done and we did touch on this subject and when we did touch on it we did say that we would get him back onto the show and have a full show dedicated to it. That subject is the movie Detroit Rock City, and he's the writer of that. Uh, It's good timing, actually, because the new Blu-ray release of Detroit Rock City has not long since come out, so we thought it'd be perfect timing to get this show out to all the KISS fans and movie fans that are out there. Um, There's a little bit of audio, not problems, but you, you will hear Carl's computer fan which um, seems to be quite vigorously firing itself up now again as we're recording. But it by no means distracts from all the great stories that you're going to hear. We did chat about when we finished recording. Carl told me that about 90% of the stuff um, we chatted about he's never talked about before. So you're getting all new information here. You'll find things out. I'll tease you now before we get into the actual conversation with him. You'll find things out, um, I'll say, medieval kiss. That will make more sense when you've listened. Uh, Mr. Microphone. You'll also find out, um, I put him on the spot and say about what would happen with Jam and Trip and, and Hawk and Lex. Uh, if there's a Detroit Rock City sequel set now, what would those characters think of Kiss now? And uh, what sort of storylines would happen? And we go off on a good tangent with that. And Even though Carl was put on the spot, he comes up with some good storylines for the characters already. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I will push him to write Detroit Rock City too, because I would... I personally would like to see it, if nothing else. So anyway, enough of me chatting on. Just sit back, relax, get comfortable, and spend, I was going to say, the 60 minutes. But it's more than 60 minutes. There was so much information to get in. I think it's going to be about a 90-minute show. Uh, But either way, get ready, uh, prepare yourselves. You're in for a treat, as I have another chat with Carl Dupree. So, Carl, thank you once again for joining me. It seems, well, when was it? It was way back in September, wasn't it, when you joined me on episode one of 60 Minutes With? I know. I, I, I've been waiting here. It's been a while. It's been like six months. But um, <laughs> I have my sleeping bag here, you know. Uh, I got my snacks and whatnot to keep me through. No, uh, it, it was good, and I really enjoyed it. It was a very good uh, very good, good interview, um, you know, and I'm just going to briefly tip my hat to you um, as uh, someone who uh, you are uh, a good interviewer. Um, you know what questions to ask to get, uh, well, at least for me, to get the, the, the jog my memory and, and get the stories going. And um, it was a pleasure. Good, good talking to you and uh, looking forward to this one. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say so. Thank you very much. Well, we did. We, we teased on that one, didn't we? We did promise that you would be back and would uh, dedicate an episode to Detroit Rock City. And what better time to do it? I mean, because the Blu-ray has just been released, and um, before we started recording, you said you'd had your Blu-ray delivered. Was it yesterday? Yes, it was. Yep, I just got it uh, from Amazon yesterday. Shout out to Amazon, I guess. I don't know. Can we say brand names here? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> and if you Amazon Prime to... shipping, I don't know. Whatever. I'm. I'm, I'm not. And I'm not getting any money from Amazon for this. I just want people to know. But it's pretty cool. Uh, it was pretty cool. I got the disc yesterday, and I, I checked it out. Um, uh, the only thing was, I was kind of hoping they'd come with a little booklet. And you know how sometimes they come with booklets? Yeah. Mine did not come with a booklet, although it came with something that looked like it was supposed to hold a booklet. So, I don't know. Um, you know, that's... Uh, 
I guess caveat emptor, you know, on that one, uh, let the buyer beware. Uh, but uh, I don't know what they put in the booklet that hasn't already been said anyway, you know what I mean? But um, uh, very, very stoked uh, to check it all out and to see, um, you know, see like that, that Blu-ray, the, the difference in the picture, that's the main thing that I'm not so much an extras type person, although I did check out some of the extras on this one, but... Um, I really dug the how the the picture is just uh, um, incredible, uh, crisp, sharp. You know, um, uh, I I I'm a big fan of. Um, I, I don't know. I'm going. I'm going to date myself a lot here, um, but um, I remember um, seeing these movies when I was uh, when I was a kid. There were these movies. One of them was Modern Problems with uh, Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not exactly the greatest movie ever made. And then the other one was The, other one was the Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that, I, I mean, these, these aren't, of course, benchmark, you know, uh, incredible. Like, they, they, didn't get, they didn't sweep the Academy Awards, and they didn't, like, climb to the top of any box office charts or, uh, you know, whatever critic, uh, critic's charge, uh, top ten list. But there was a certain type of cinematography from that period of time, and those are the movies that I can think of off the, off the top of the head. Off the top of my head, where the colors were very vivid and and, and they were very, they were almost like neon. It was almost like a neon look. Um, and when I was watching this Blu-ray um, last night, that's what uh, um, that's what it, it struck me. I was like, wow, they it, it really captures the time. Like I don't know, it looks like a movie from 1978 in terms of of uh, uh, cinematography. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of colors and. Um, uh, you know, photography, and that's that's the reason why I'm I'm bringing that stuff up. Um, it was very, you know, it was, it was like a, it, was, it was really cool. It's really cool to see the uh, what the picture looked like. Um, yeah, Blu-ray, so. I'm still waiting so. for mine to be delivered. Mine's um, I've had the postage notification, but it hasn't arrived yet. So I'm still relying. I've got the new line platinum release on DVD, which I believe has still got all the same extras as the new Blu-ray. But of course, you're going to get you know the upgrade hopefully in the picture too. So I'm looking forward to that dropping through the post box. Nice, nice, yeah. Well, it's worth it. It's good. It's worth the wait, I would say. No, that's good to hear, then. That's good to hear. Well, I think my first question for you, then, um, let's start this off with how and when did you become a KISS fan? All right. Yes, that's great. That's a good question. Um, My first recollection of becoming a KISS fan, uh, like I had heard about KISS in the the, uh, sort of ether. I was uh, 12 or 13 at the time. And just sort of the just uh, it was in the air. Kiss was something in the air. It was something somebody was people were talking about. I don't know if I told you this uh, on the last interview, but I was kind of addicted to Rolling Stone magazine. I had to be there. I had to read every month. I had to read my Rolling Stone magazine and my Mad magazine. Those are my two magazines that I had to read. And I remember starting to read about Kiss and. Um, you know, there was an article in one of the Rolling Stones where I was like, oh, this, this looks really weird like that, you know, the, the kabuki makeup and whatnot. But um, it didn't really sink in until I, I, I took a chance. I was like, somebody at school was talking about Kiss Alive 2. And I'm like, this is the greatest album. You can't believe, like, this is just awesome. It's, it's, it's the best thing ever. It's, uh, it's even better than Kiss Alive 1. And um, I didn't even know what Kiss Alive 1 was at the time. But I dragged my mom, of course, to the record store and we had to buy Kiss Alive too, and I just uh, the it was one of those things like, you know, it's such a kid thing to do. 
you know, I got the the record. I had to. I was like, come on, come on, let's get home. Hurry up. Like, tell my mom to step on it. Go <laughs> home. So I could run up to the to the to the record player and put it on and just listen to it. Put the headphones on. Listen to it straight through without a break. You know what I mean? It's such a like. I don't know. That's a, that was me. That was like the type of stuff that I do. I get I, an idea would take hold of me. And sure enough, like I think I was. I was initially doing this to be cool, like to be with the other kids, and like they were all talking about this. So, oh, maybe I should be doing this now because it's a cool thing to do. You know, I was I'm the type of kid like I I probably would have jumped off a bridge if everybody else jumped off a bridge. I might have done that. I don't know, but um, but it worked out well in this instance that um, you know, I I I really got um, I saw something like a lot of these songs they weren't getting they weren't like I knew the, like the hit songs from kiss uh but like a lot there was a lot of stuff on this album on kiss alive too that i didn't hear on the radio and it, and, it, and it opened this door in my in my brain it was like there's more stuff than just what's on the radio and and um you know in general you know like there, there's there's there there are other things that are going on and and you don't have to just listen to the radio you just you don't have to be mainstream and um you can listen to other things and i um I mean, I, I just loved all the the, the I did the I liked the the feeling I got when I listened. To that. I was like, like I said, I had headphones. And I was like, boy, I, I really I felt like I was in that crowd. Yeah, I felt like I was I was. Um, but it wasn't enough because I, all I could do was use my imagination. I was like, I've got to see these guys. I've got to see this, you know. And I and then I started I started paying attention when people were talking about you know the 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 the, the antics the the. Just the the circus atmosphere and just like this, you know, explosions and and just uh, things catching fire. Gene Simmons spitting blood and uh, Ace's guitar uh, uh, smoking and Chris's drum <laughs> set rising in the air. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta see this. And and that was like my next. That was after I got that album. Um, I needed to do that. I needed to. And you know, it was very well timed, of course, because if you remember, Kiss Alive Two came out. Uh, right uh, during the Kiss Alive 2 tour. So, <laughs> conveniently enough, I don't know if that was a coincidence, but anyway, the Kiss Alive 2 tour was happening, so I had to see, and I saw them in Providence, and, but anyway, um, that was, it was, it was a, it was a pretty, um, um, like, I can pinpoint, like, pretty much when Kiss Alive 2 came out, that was when I became a Kiss fan. So, that, there's a short answer to that question. When Kiss Alive 2 came out, I became a Kiss fan. That was good because on the way home as well, while you were waiting to listen to it, you'd got that amazing inner sleeve from the Gatefold album to look at as well. You know, that incredible photograph. Oh my! It was amazing stuff. Yeah. Oh, it was incredible. I loved all that. I loved it, and it was like, like that's that's the the beauty of Kiss, especially at that time, is that you know they 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 delivered for the fans. They really did. They're like they gave us what we wanted. They really did. Um, and, uh, you know, when you buy that, you've, you weren't just buying it. It was a double album, which is awesome. You know, I, I know that a lot of people out there, uh, probably, <laughs> you know, yeah, double album. I people are getting back into vinyl, vinyl, but that was like, that was cool. And there's a double album. Oh, it's a double album. <laughs> so open it up and there's this album and that. And, um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, there was a great, uh, there's a great program inside there. The pictures are just just phenomenal. The pictures are just amazing. And, oh, and yeah. And, and, and yeah, you know when you're listening to that, you look at the pictures and you like feel like, oh man, 
you listen to that crowd cheering, you know, and, uh, pardon me, you listen to that crowd cheering, and you're looking at the pictures, and it's almost like you're there, but it really is an actuality. It is like the biggest tease in the world. <laughs> you know, it's, you could see them putting together this whole package, Kiss and, um, you know, Gene Simmons and Paul, you know, the management, everybody getting together and going, all right, what we want to do is we want to give people, like, the, the the biggest tease they could possibly get um, that will make them want to run out and buy tickets to see us. Yeah, you know, it's a, and, and it, so it was it was it was always like well, you got a gift for the people who already saw them, and you, and and it was a tease for the people who didn't. So it was really cool. It was, it was really awesome. So as we go down your timeline, then how did the initial sort of genesis of the Detroit Rock City story begin with you? What what kicked that off? Did you start making notes at any particular time? Did the idea of a Kiss movie come to you, or did certain characters come to you? What was the, how was the whole beginning of it basically? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well, the there was this kid who um, I worked with. Um, this was back in the late eighties, um, and I worked in a, 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 we, we had this uh, restaurant job. I was a cook he was a waiter but anyway we were exchanging stories about like uh, uh concert experiences i guess like we were talking we i can't remember how we, we stumbled upon us but this kid just started talking about you know yeah I, I saw the who uh, a couple of years ago because um you know me and my friends were we were driving around and we noticed we, we knew that the who was playing at like at the time it was foxborough stadium i guess it's gillette stadium now in uh foxborough massachusetts but uh he said the way that they got in was this one kid goes, I know how we can do it. Let's, uh, you know, I, I got a plan. And, of course, that plan was um, he, he wanted, uh, you know, this this guy I worked with um, to punch him in the face, basically. <laughs> and then and, and he's like, you know, punch me. Just give, me, give it to me nice and hard. Just, like, punch me as hard as you can. So he did. And the kid's, like, got, like, a black eye popping out. He's got the blood coming out of the mouth. He's like, come on, let's go. And um, they ran up to the to the to the ticket takers, and they said somebody just mugged us and took all our tickets. And then they got into the show, and I filed that. Isn't that funny? Like I filed that. It was a, it was a who counts true. It wasn't even a kiss concert, but I filed that away. I said, that would be really good in a movie. You know, it was like one of those like things just sat there in my head. I put it was like, I put it into a shoebox. You know, it was like a, <laughs> a shoebox of like concert stories. And I mean, there there are crazy things that happened too many crazy things for me to even like that would be a whole nother movie um i and i said that to um those guys at the time if they if they ever wanted to make a detroit rock city sequel like we were thinking like depending on the success of this one you could just jump into it and make a sequel i said well the second one would probably take place during the concert and all these ridiculous things happen at the concert because that's where most of my i i mean i've had there, there have been like crazy things that just happen at um, concerts, and, and uh, you know, just uh, just all the concerts that I've been to. Um, there was uh, there was just crazy stuff going on um, all over the place, in and around the the concerts, um, uh, and and that was that was almost like a whole different story there. But I I, I, I latched on to that one, the, the the and I said that would be like I mean that would be really cool in a movie, and um, you know, so it just sat there, it sat there in my head. Um, for a few years and then i'm working on um this i i, I told you i was a, an assistant editor and uh, i was working on this movie called skinner 
with uh, uh, editor uh, Peter Schink who wound up cutting Detroit Rock City. And we were just talking about, we'd just be talking about Kiss. He, he would bring in, like, uh, Kiss action figures to put, like, in with, with the editing equipment. You know, he'd, like, tape them onto the top of his, um, you know, the, the monitor of his, um, at the time he was cutting on a, a chem which uh, everything is digital now, but that was, uh, you know, where you actually physically cut the film. I mean, he had, like, you know, the members of KISS sitting up there. He also had, like, Star Trek uh, action figures and all this other stuff. But I know it's the KISS ones, and we just started talking about KISS. And we just, um, you know, just started, like, exchanging, um, you know, stories about, and, and you know, like, every KISS fan, he, he's my age, you know, so... We'd talk about like the you know uh, how uh, devastating it was when they came out with a disco song, you know, um, <laughs> like that moment when when Dynasty came out, like oh no, really? Come on, they can't do this, and um, you know, just these these little uh, chapters in 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 history, I guess you could say. And um, he told me he like had all these stories about like he is he was up on. Um, all the kiss trivia, all the kiss lore. And like, I consider myself, I, I, I'm a pretty universal, um, I, or how can I put it? Like I, I liked rock and roll as a, as a whole back then, especially like it was, it all congealed into one, into one thing for me. And I did like the who, and I did like, like, like Led Zeppelin and all those other things, Pink Floyd. but kiss really sort of opened the door to all that for me. And that was, that was my, like, uh, you know, um, my connection with Kiss is definitely um, like it's a time and a place for me. Um, it's, it's a it's a place in my childhood. Um, you know this uh, the, the the intro to to rock music. Um, but uh, Pete Chink, boy, he followed Kiss uh, intensely throughout the '80s, which was I I um, it was more than I I could do. I, I think once once they started that uh, they took the makeup off and they started changing people out i start i already i already started getting a resentment <laughs> against them you know like i want the old kids i want the old kids i'm like one of these guys i'm like i want the old star wars movie i want the i don't care about all this other stuff i want the first star wars movie you know i know it's called episode four and whatever but i call it star wars damn it you know like that's uh, that's my whole thing um but um he he was like he was like talk, talked about how you know gene simmons yeah he's supposed to got the piece of skin under his tongue cut out and all that his tongue would be longer, and um, you know, like stuff like that, like all these, uh, all this trivia. And um, one day, um, like I saw, I want to hold your hand, which I think is a brilliant, absolutely brilliant comedy. Um, I, I I like the comedies, like the old like Marx Brothers movies. I like um, the this the like Billy Wilder comedies. You know, some like it hot. Like I like those movies, like the the, the comedies from the forties and fifties. And I guess maybe a little bit of the '60s, but like the ones that are really tightly written, and and every every line of dialogue is pretty much a gem. I thought "I Want to Hold Your Hand" was like a great, like that was a great comedy. And um, you know, Robert Zemeckis and, and Bob Gale, um, they made um, they made some really incredible movies. Uh, but I mean, that that's like to me for them, like that. Oh, well, Back to the Future, of course. That's the that's the 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 the, the the jewel in their crown, shall we say? But, but I want to hold your hand. Great story, great like, and I loved how like it had all these characters. You saw them at the beginning of the movie all together, and then it split them up, 
you know, and you, and, yeah. and you find, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there are all these characters, and you know, the, the, the crux of the movie is they're going to see uh, the Beatles perform at the Ed Sullivan show. And um, so they're all together, and it's a few girls and a few boys, and they sort of, their paths um, disperse, and, and, and they, they go on these little adventures, each, each one of them, and they all have like a, a rite of passage. So I, I said to this, I said to Pete uh, one day, I was like, "Oh, somebody should make um, I want to hold your hand, but with kisses, the Holy Grail." And he goes, "Oh yeah," um, because I want to see that. Uh, he goes, "I want to see that script uh, um, on my desk on Monday." That was like a joke we had. I want to see that on my desk on Monday. You know what I mean? Um, uh, <laughs> we had an idea. I want to see that script on my desk on Monday. I'm like, uh, and I was like, "Aha!" You know, I was, I was. Um, I, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. But, like, I, I kept, like, ruminating on that. I was like, it would be a nice, it would be nice to see that. And then, don't you know, like, I go to work on Monday, and he goes, hey, where's that Kiss script? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I said, yeah, it's pretty funny. So every couple of weeks or so, he'd start, he'd be, hey, you, you work on that Kiss script? And I'd be like, you know, I do have, and I did, seriously, I'd have ideas here and there. I'd be like, hey, wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if, like, this, I had a scene where, um, the kids get um, uh, pulled over. Well, and actually, they get a they, the, the tire blows out on their car, and they get a female tow truck driver who comes and she's like this sort of big, like large Marge from from Beetle. Not Beetlejuice. What am I talking about? Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Large Marge, you know, this big uh, you know tow truck driver, and um, and they've just been listening. They had a, a CB radio in the car, which that totally got written out of the script. But um, the four kids, um, they have a CB radio in the car, and they just hear this stuff about, uh, you know, people talking about uh, beavers, you know, and uh, this beaver this, beaver that, which, of course, is a derogatory term for woman. So this tow truck driver comes up, and they're like, hey, beaver, could you help us out? You know what I mean? They automatically just call her a beaver, you know. And, um, and you know, I'm pitching this idea to people. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to write that in there. So I'm like, all right, I'm just I'm going to I'm going to do that. And um I, I, you know, I, I had these little like, like notes to myself, like uh, you know, t- female tow truck driver scene. You know, like that would be like a card that I've had that I have, and um, but nothing. Like I'm a, I'm pretty good at procrastinating, um, or I was at least at that time. I was, I was really good at, at like, um, how can I put it? There, there are different like things that writers do to like they wanna, they wanna think like they're doing something, but they're actually procrastinating. So it's like, oh, I think I'm going to wait until I have all the scenes written down on these pieces of paper before I actually start <laughs> writing the script. Heaven forbid you, you start writing the script. But anyway, um, you know, it, it was, I, I, nothing really came of it. And um, I finally, um, uh, I worked on, um, the next movie I worked on, like the, there was about a three or six month break. And then I wound up on another movie with Pete. And it was directed by uh, a guy named James Malconian. And the name of the movie was The Stone Age, which took place in the 70s. And, like, the band in that was Blue Oyster Cult. We don't, we don't, we never saw them perform live. It wasn't, you know, part of the story. But they were, it was, it was about Blue Oyster Cult fans, basically. And we were, and the, the soundtrack was awesome. And it was really hilarious. Um, and it's a funny movie. It's, uh, if, you, if you ever get a chance to check it out, it's not like, the, like those movies from the 70s movies, you know, um, and um, uh, so we're working on this movie, and after that gets wrapped, after the movie wraps, um, meaning like you know we're uh, they, they they get ready to release it, we're all done. 
um, I wind up having lunch with Pete and uh, James Malconian. And then Pete goes, hey, you know, uh, Carl's been working on this uh, Kiss script. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Kiss script. I'm doing that twice. I'm like, mm. And I'm not sure how much time has gone by now. I think it's probably about six months or, or so since, um, you know, the last I talked about it with, with Pete. And um, and he goes, oh, you're, you're, he goes, oh, how long have you been working on that, James Malcone? How long have you been working on that? I go, oh, about six months. He goes, oh, you must be almost done then, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm almost done. You know, probably another uh, couple of months. <laughs> like that. More like, you know, six weeks. It's like, he's like, oh, yeah, six weeks. And I'm like, oh, oh, my God. I just put this, like, deadline on this casual lunch. I just started, you know, we were, like, eating, whatever. And then by the end of that lunch, I suddenly had a six-week deadline to write an entire uh, screenplay. I think it was either six weeks or two months. I can't remember what it was. I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Well, the first thing I did was I just started reading scripts like what I want. Like, like I want to hold your hand. And, you know, I, uh, watching movies um, about, you know, I mean, there was that's like, there's never really, I guess, rock and roll high school. You know, they're just um, digesting these movies and reading the screenplays, but going, but going at it like, like I was cramming for a final exam. And doing that for like weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And I actually I started writing a draft of Detroit Rock City, which um, I was really inspired by Pulp Fiction. I think maybe I told you this before, but um, but uh, I was very, very inspired by that for a little. I, I, the, the dialogue in Detroit Rock City, the first draft, has these long stretches of dialogue. And I was really, I, I, I liked Quentin Tarantino's um ability to just sit with characters and let them talk and and it, it, it's almost like you know there's there's an enjoyment in that you know the 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 art of conversation it's kind of like seinfeld you know it's not about nothing it's about how people interact and i really enjoyed that so um but i just got like i got done seeing pulp fiction and i'm like oh man um and I guess I didn't get just get done. Maybe I rented it because we're talking. This is like a year later or two years later. But but I'm like, well, maybe I can do something with that. Maybe there's like this disjointed timeline that I could create. And what I did was I had I had these four kids at the beginning of the movie being together, and they're actually when the movie starts, they're in line to see Star Wars. Isn't that weird? They're in line to see Star Wars, which I may have played with um, um, time a little bit, but I think. Star Wars, if I remember correctly, uh, went, it was it was it was a, a hit for a long time. People kept lining up for months and months and months. But anyway, they, it starts out at a line to see Star Wars, and then some somebody winds up getting tickets to the Kiss concert, and they all like they 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 all getting uh, uh, no, it, it, that's right. It it takes place. It took place in Rhode Island. Okay, it starts out. It takes place in Rhode Island. They're at the Showcase Cinema. They're gonna go see Star Wars. They're in the line. Somebody gets four tickets to see Kiss at the uh, the, the tonight's show at uh, the Providence Civic Center, which they, which they really wanted to see. And they're like bumming out. They're going to see Star Wars because they can't go see Kiss. Basically, they're they're like bummed. You know what I mean? They got they got screwed out of seeing Kiss. So then they, then the four of them go and they split off. And then what you do is you have Hawk's entire story from beginning to end. And every once in a while he interacts with the other characters, but you have like a half hour of Hawk. Then you go back to the line again, and you have a half hour of trip. Then a back, you know what I mean? Then yeah. 
and each and each time it ends at the moment before they beat they beat the, it like ends at that all is lost moment for each of them and then once lex's story is done you know he comes like the each story ends with that like moment where they're like you know in the movie you, you know they come to the four the the, the that uh, intersection like that's where each story ends and then you know basically and they, they they get back together and then they beat the hell out of each other and they go see the concert um then uh, and and it was it worked out for about 30 pages this this draft of the disjointed timeline of Detroit, Detroit Rock City and then um it was it was getting a little too messy and i think i was um um you know i was i was probably getting too clever for my own good you know what i mean uh <laughs> so i said maybe this this deserves a straight more straightforward presentation um so um I went back and I said, all right, the movie starts in Providence, but I want like a road trip in here. I knew I wanted a road trip somewhere in there. And I was, I was, uh, that was, that was the other thing was, um, you know, I, I wanted that. I wanted that experience of them. You know, I wanted the Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid experience of like riding across the wilderness, you know what I mean? And, and, and going, going the distance, you know, that, like that's, that's, a, that's something in, you know, in, in literature in, 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 in lore, you know, uh, a character has to make a journey, you know what I mean? Ever since you freaking, uh, you know, the Odyssey, you know what I mean? A character has to prove um, that they really want something. And that is a great way to show it, to actually show it in a movie, to show them going any distance at all. Um, so it's okay, these guys are committed to doing this. They really are, you know, um, they really want to, they really want this badly. And so it, the, the, the original script, well, I guess you could say that at this point, the second draft um, started in Providence and ended in, in New York City. They were going to go see Kiss in New York. And uh, I was recently telling somebody about this. They were asking me why I started it in Cleveland. Um, I, I decided this movie is going to be called Detroit Rock City. I said, well, it's one of those reverse engineering things. <laughs> Roger Corman Roger Corman said, um, you come up with a poster. Then you come up with a title, then you come up with a story, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not cheating. I just, I, I said this movie has to be called Detroit Rock City, just like, and it has to happen at Cobo Hall. And at Cobo Hall is where it's a, it's a, it's a legendary location in history. It's just there's something about it. You gotta, have, if you're gonna make a movie about Kiss, I said, well, if I'm gonna make a movie about a bunch of people seeing a Kiss concert, it has to be at Cobo Hall. How could it not be at Cobo Hall? You know. <laughs> so okay. Cobo Hall, boom, Detroit Rock City, there it is. And I, and I had to pick a place on the map that was, you know, about three to six hours drive. I wanted, I wanted them to really have to go a ways um, to see this um, concert, you know. It, can't, it couldn't be like um, hop, skip, and a jump. But, I mean, you know, it's it just, just something, you know, something challenging. So uh, that that's how that wound up happening you mentioned, oh, you mentioned and, and you go oh i'm getting no oh it's all right were, i was feeding back on myself and i was getting all sorts of echo oh, um correct. you mentioned about the the cb radio idea that you're writing in to it mm. that, that was eventually cut out what sort of other parts can you tell the listeners about that was it in the original script that wasn't filmed yeah um off the top of my head <laughs> there was there was a, a scene where they all go to um a pizza place. They actually, 
they picked up the pizza to go to bus jam out. You know what I mean? They in, in the movie they call they 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 they, they, they intercept the pizza man, um, the pizza pig guy. Um, in the first draft, they actually go to a pizza place to put the shrooms on the pizza to to uh, give to the priest. Um, and they go to this pizza place, and there's a TV um, on the, on the uh, you know, above, the, above the, the counter, above the counter where they order the pizza. And the first commercial, and you just see these two commercials. The first one has Rula Lenska in it. I don't know if you remember Rula Lenska. I certainly do, yeah. yeah. Okay, so she is Rula Lenska. And then the next one was the Nair commercial, which um, when I was a kid, they, I don't know if you had, uh, if you were aware of this, but... Um, they had these uh, "Who Wears Short Shorts" commercials um, for for this product called Nair, which is uh, it's it, it's a for people who don't want hair on their bodies, most specifically women, and uh, who want to wear really short shorts. So they had this short short um, commercial uh, based on that '50s song. You know, uh, it, it went "Who wears short shorts? We wear," sh-. and and it's these women, and it's like. It was practically like an R-rated commercial. I don't know how it was like it just close-ups on these women wearing very short shorts, and uh, and just like the the kids just have a break in um, like they're 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 about to order the pizza and they're just staring at this short shorts commercial and, and you can tell that they're uh, they're sort of entranced by these these butts dancing around um, <laughs> on the on the TV screen. But I wanted to, I was like oh yeah we got to use. Like the original commercials, that would be just so cool to have those in there. Just like, um, you know, mem- trip down memory lane. And then, and then the other thing was there was this product called Mister Microphone. Do you remember that? No, Do you... no, I don't remember that one. Uh, Mister Microphone was a a a, a, a microphone that um, you could you could turn your radio on. You could talk through your radio, so uh, or you could talk to a, talk through a radio anywhere. So you have this microphone, you can turn your stereo on, and suddenly you're like the MC at a party, like your voice is booming through the speakers and your, your hi-fi, you know. And the commercial had them, like, had people just talking in this, into this microphone, and their voices are coming out of all these different audio devices. And then, and then there's this guy driving around in a car, and he's got the radio up loud, and he's talking in this Mr. Microphone, and he's yelling, he's like, He's like, hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later, right? And um, you know, there these girls walking down the street, and this guy's like, you got this Mr. Microphone. So that was the thing that um, Jam was going to use at the end, instead of using uh, the uh, sort of bull. Oh, of course, yeah. Use this Mr. Microphone. He was gonna uh, get up, get up and 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 turn this Mr. Microphone on and and use that to yell at his mom. So and they, those are all things from from that era, you know, uh, that uh, I wanted to uh, put in there. It was it was a long list of things. Um, it was very interesting uh, when I was when I was writing it. I would be in in a room full of people at certain points and I'd go, "Hey, what do you remember about 1978?" I just do that. <laughs> what do you remember about 1978? And then like I'd be like sitting there, I'd be jotting things down, and uh, it was pretty funny. It was it was it was pretty cool, you know. Um, you never know you can, when you can have like a spontaneous brainstorm session. If you're if you're writing a script and you and you're like uh, you're having whatever you have a writer's block because you're not sure what would happen or you you, you know if you want um, 
if you want to create an atmosphere like that, like like uh, if you're doing a period story, you can just like stop every. If you're in a room full of people, just stop for saying, "Hey, what do you remember about this? What do you know about that?" And and see what kind of answers you get because that, that's a, you know, writing can be a uh, a community effort sometimes, um, in, in that sense. Yeah, so you got you got this six week block thing, this sort of self imposed deadline that. I, you talked yourself into hey, at this point. What I mean, obviously, this was a pretty intense six weeks then. So. Uh, oh my God, it was so. It was I, I. I was sweating bullets, but once I arrived at that mm, structure, I guess you could say, um, and I'd read so many script. I read like I read Sid Field. I read Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman, which is a really great book if you want to um, if you want to learn how to write scripts. It's really really good. Um, and, um, that 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 shined a, a light on the process for me. And there was there were, I, I mean there were there were scripts there were scripts that I read. That, and 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 I'm trying to pick these scripts apart. What do I like? What do I don't like? And like trying that trying to force. Um, they say, you know, in in, in the screenwriting, uh, in the screenwriting trade, is all a story supposed to have three acts, and this is supposed to happen between page one and page thirty, and this is supposed to happen between page thirty and page sixty, and you know, um, there are these plot twists that are supposed to happen, and um, unfortunately, I think all that's done is it's made movies kind of predictable today. Um, hate to say it, but um, uh, if you see an original movie, there is there's definitely there's a structure going on but it's not always like sometimes you know when people rebel against that structure it winds winds up working really well but but anyway uh, to make a long story short i i had this like moment it was like a zen thing i just said i'm just going to write a story with a beginning a middle and an end you know that's what i'm going this is the first act the beginning the second act is the middle <laughs> I was, you know you have title cards the middle. Wouldn't you like, like like the Monty Python? Welcome to the middle of the film. The middle, and then and then the end. You know, and 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 I had I I said, all right, maybe I'm taking a risk here because I keep the characters together for a long time, and then all of a sudden I disperse them like in the middle of the story. But it happens right after that moment where they lose. They they find out they don't have tickets. They went all the way up to Detroit and they have no tickets, and the car gets stolen they're all out of money you know it's like it's like things can't get any worse and then that's when they split up and i thought well if the audience really likes these characters they're going to be like oh my god you know these guys got to get back together somehow but they're really going to be on board with this each character going through their rite of passage and you know becoming men these boys becoming men you know uh kids becoming grown-ups um and this is their last like it's it's the last sort of uh how can i like uh, like this is the moment that you have when when you're not quite a kid anymore and you're not a grown-up yet you know what i mean it's yeah. that, like this this moment where the four of them are still together and yeah they've got their you know they've got the rest of their lives to look at but this is like um you know just like this this memory that they'll have uh and um, the, the, you know they, they're independent now, and they can do what they want to do. And what do they want to do? They want to go see a Kiss concert, of course. You know, it's like <laughs> you know. who wouldn't who wouldn't want to go to a Kiss concert? No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 
And I, like I said, they're still they're they're still kids at heart. So I don't know, you know, um, at that point, at least at that point in the story. Hey, that's I mean, come on, come on. I'm 50 this year, and I still can't wait for the next Kiss concert that I'm going to. So you know, uh, it's still great. relevant to me even now. Well, happy birthday! I'm going to be 50 in June myself. So. Oh yeah, well I'm a month I'm a month later. So. The half the half century club. That's it, me and you together. <laughs> yeah, but that's great. Where are you where are you uh, where are you seeing Kiss? Uh, well, they're playing Donington. They're booked in to do the big Monsters of Rock festival here. Well, it used to be called Monsters oh. of Rock. It's Download. It's called now. Uh, but I've still got my fingers crossed that they do an arena tour. I much prefer to see them in arenas. So oh. Ho- hopefully that's going to happen. Yeah. Now, what? Uh, uh, who else is? Uh, who all else is playing at that one? Uh, the big one for me that's on the bill for that is Motley Crue as well. They're joining. Them. Nice. Yeah. So you know, f- for those that like classic rock, that's two great bands right off. Oh, sweet. sweet yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So well, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you were just going back to the script and what happened then when you'd finished the script. Yes. Obviously, you were relieved, is what the first thing. But then, what happened to the script then yeah. once you'd finished it? Yeah, okay. So, I, I sent it to the person that I expressly sort of wrote it for, uh, James Malconi, who I, I'm not even sure if he knows. Like, I'm sure he knows by now. Like, he's the reason. Well, it's him with a combination of Pete Shink going, oh, yeah, Carl, I have the script ready. But him saying, oh, I'd really love to read it when you're finished with it. That was it. I, that was what internalized, you know, I had this director who wanted to read a script. I'm like, this is what I moved out to Hollywood for, you know. And I had been stumbling and bumbling around. I wrote a few things before Detroit Rock City. But, um, like I said, I have a director who actually wants to read something that I wrote, which is, um, you know, that's like, for, for a writer in Hollywood, that's a big, that's a huge deal. You know, um, it, it's at least it's you know it's a huge step. You know, so I said I gotta take advantage of this anyway. Okay, so I finished the script, and I sent it off to him, and then he he calls me. He like he he read it right away. You know, I read it, I want to say over the course of a weekend. He goes, oh, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it a lot. I was like, oh, that's that's great. And um, he said, now what is, what does Kiss think of it? <laughs> I said, Kiss? I said, I don't have any connection to Kiss. He goes, Oh, you you wrote it without a connection to Kiss? <laughs> and I said, No, I didn't. Said, oh well. Uh, hey, you know, if you wind up getting it over to them, um, let me know what they think of it or something. He said something like that. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just I just exhausted so much energy. <laughs> and I, I, there's no. And I, I I had this other idea like it was about um, uh, this guy who is a buddy cop comedy about this guy who got partnered with Elvis Presley uh, back in the late 60s. It was called The King and Me, right? And um, I, I was like, well, like, I can't obviously, like, I remember distinctly, I was like, I'm not writing another movie with a known entity <laughs> unless I, I, I have a connection to it. I'm just not doing it. But, um, but it was really funny because, like, I, I was bummed out. But I kept, I kept like, a copy of the script. And it sat in my draw for I don't know how long. It sat in my draw for like six or eight months. And then I wound up on this other movie, yet another movie, uh, Barbed Wire, uh, an editing room movie. Anybody, if, if you're thinking of writing a movie and you're listening to this, I, I strongly suggest working in, a, in an editing room. I really do because like, this, this stuff couldn't have happened unless I was, I, I was an assistant editor, basically. 
Um, and myself and um, this kid, this co-worker of mine, we were working on Barbed Wire, um, which is a Pamela Anderson movie. Uh, speaking of Motley Crue, you know, uh, Tommy Lee's wife there, ex-wife. And um, it was an awful movie. As anybody who's seen it can probably attest to, but we, we kept doing these reshoots. And, and we had, like, these... These editors, we kept hiring editors. And they were like, they were, I want to say they were like 20 assistant editors, 16 to 20 assistant editors on this movie. And you'd think we were, we were, we were cutting a pop, Apocalypse Now. You know what I mean? That's like, that, that's how ridiculous it was. And um, I was working next to this kid. We'd have like our benches all set up next to one another. Editing benches are kind of like the, the uh, editing room version of cubicles. You know, you're sitting at your bench and, and you're doing your work. And um, this kid, David Feldman, we we i met him and we were talking about you know he went to nyu and he was like he wanted to be, be a, a filmmaker you know and i was like oh yeah i want i had decided at that point i was like you know i want to direct someday but for now i want to like write something and then maybe i'll direct it you know like that that's that was my ultimate goal he was looking for he was looking for something to direct and uh, i was like oh i wrote this uh script detroit rock city it's about these kids going to see a kiss concert in 1978 he goes, oh, I got to show this to my uh, buddy, uh, Kevin Corrigan. You know, he's an indie film actor. And um, he says he wants to play Ace Freely in the Ace Freely story, basically. That was his, uh, as we said. And, and, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I, I gave him a copy of the script. And little did I know, like, there was this whole, like, ricochet thing that happened with the script. Like, uh, I'm just sitting at home. But... Apparently, what happened was David sent the script to Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan, like, he hit the roof. He loves Kiss, you know. Mm. He sent it to his manager, who sent it to an old friend of hers who was uh, um, who wanted to get into producing, and she was looking for a script to produce. And that friend um, was when she got the script. Um, she was sitting down to lunch with Barry Levine, who, you know, he used to photograph Kiss back in the 70s. Yeah. He was probably responsible. He was responsible for the, for the Alive 2 tour book. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm 99% sure. But anyway, um, she sat down with him and, and she's like, and he, they were exchanging stories. And said, yeah, I used to, I was a rock concert photographer. I actually photographed Kiss a lot back in the 70s. She goes, Kiss? And she took this script out of her purse. And she's like, look at that Detroit Rock City. And the guy goes, oh, this is hilarious. So he goes, and, and he was going to shoot um, Kiss when they put the makeup back on, back in... Um, 96, wasn't it? Yeah, the 96. reunion tour. Yes, 96. Yep, that's right. In in in, uh, in London. He, so he, he took a plane from L.A. to London. And, and he took the, the script with him. He read the script on the plane and you know he, he even said he was like laughing his ass off on the plane he gets to london doc mcgee is waiting there so barry goes here read this he gets off the plane here read this you know see if we can do something with this so i got like they're just going to rewind back in time i get that this kid david feldman i kind of casually hand him the script and then like 10 days later it wasn't the that friday of that week but it was the friday of the next week I get a call, and it's like, hey, Gene loves your script. <laughs> Gene, I, yeah, I, like, this is how, like, fast it happened. Like, Gene, like, I was trying to keep track of all the people who had read it. I'm like, I know who Barry is. I know who 
uh, Lauren is, and I know Molly is. Like I was, crying. I was like, Gene, who, who's Gene? And the guy goes, Gene Simmons, you friggin' idiot. <laughs> It was Barry. He's like Gene Simmons. Who do you think? I'm like, oh my god, Gene Simmons loves the script. And I and I did get a, a call from Gene uh, a few days after that, and I saved it. I had the little cassette tape for a long time. It was like, hello, Carl. I just wanted to let you know I read the script and I enjoyed it a lot, and I'm looking forward to doing something with it. And uh, you know, it was like something like that. I was like, oh my god. And I had this. I had this little. And it got lost. It was uh, oh no, lost somewhere. We moved uh, a couple of times, and and it was gone. I was I was, uh, but I mean, I had that like message from Gene Simmons. It was uh, it's uh, it was one of those things. Uh, oh man, um, one of those moments. It was just like one of those moments. It was a, it was a screenplay writer's moment. Was what it was, and uh, to have that and a Kiss fan, of course, you know, Kiss fan moment. Um, uh, amazing. Um, how fast things happen. And uh, so the script wound up um, for a couple of years. It was bouncing around. Um, it, um, people, you know, somebody optioned it, and then they let the option lapse. And what an option is, somebody rents the script, and then they, a, an independent producer rents a script with the deal that they're going to bring it to a studio and make it happen. And if they don't make it happen within a certain period, a pre-agreed period of time, like six months or a year or two years, then the script automatically goes back to the writer. The intellectual property belongs to the writer. But what the, the producer's renting the intellectual property in the hopes that they can get the movie made and the script sold. Um, so that happened a lot with Detroit Rock City. And, you know, I gotta say, I made a few, I made a little bit of money off of it, even without it getting made at that point, which is it was pretty cool. It's, it's sort of like the, the, the Hollywood writer's uh, tale, though. Um, uh, you know, a lot of writers out there, they, they still, they're still waiting for um, something to get made, but they've made a lot of money off of, you know, options, Yeah. basically. Anyway, so so it was just sitting around, it was hanging around, it wasn't doing anything, and then um, um, Fox TV got a hold of it, and uh, they wanted to do, like, this big chill thing with it. They wanted to take the original script and then fast-forward it, fa uh, fast-forward it 20 years, Said so all these kids are grown up. Like they they wanted to make like um, make it be like a trip down memory lane uh -huh. for these guys, and they're going to see Kiss on their what was then their current tour, and uh, the uh, the Psycho Circus thing. Um, so I was like, uh, I, I was like, yeah, you know, that's that's the thing you learn when when you're in Hollywood for a little while. You sort of. Um, you're like, all right, well, um, this is different than what I wanted it to be, but it's my first script. You know, Fox wants it, Fox TV, you know, like, okay, you know, we'll, uh, um, you know, we can work with this. Um, but the, but what happened was there was uh, a bunch of producers who all had different ideas, and they were all sort of like coming up with, with uh, you know, all these different takes on the script, and none of them were talking to each other. It was turning into a mess, uh, for, as far as I, I was concerned. And I think at the same time, um, somebody at the top got fired, and they decided to scrap the, the project altogether. But um, I guess it was the best thing that could have happened because the because it generated there was like it generated some buzz about this script, you know, and um, and then it, it wound up at um, New Line Cinema, 
and uh, the Tim Sullivan, who I'm sure you, you've spoken to him um, in your travels, haven't you? I haven't. No, I would love to, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Tim Sullivan was uh, one of the producers on Detroit Rock City, and he was a story development guy at the time. And um, he tells a story of how um, <laughs> New Line Cinema had been looking for a project to do with KISS. And Michael DeLuca was a huge KISS fan. You know, he was, he was the, the, the head of the studio at the time. And um, they were looking for something to do, and they had all these ideas. There was one about, like, a medieval KISS, uh, a medieval futuristic KISS who were living in this post-apocalyptic world. And there were, there were like, tons and tons of these ideas. Um, and they all, they all like, starred KISS. Um, excuse me. Um and uh, but when, when when Tim Sullivan looked at this script, he just just like, hey, wait a minute, we can we can do something like this where we can still have Kiss in the movie, but you know, Kiss is like um, this is what Kiss is. Kiss is like uh, the the Holy Grail. They're the they're the the destination. You know what I mean? They're like it, it, the the thing that happened with a lot of those scripts that they had going on was like. Um, you know, you, you, you got too close to the legend, you know what I mean? And it, and, and it, uh, I don't know, it, it, there, there was just something, there was something missing from that, you know? Yeah. Um, and this way, in this script, Kiss remains legendary. They remain that, like, s sort of gold that's always just, you know, outside your reach. As far as, like, you know, you know especially if you love going to see Kiss in concert and whatnot, they're... Um, you know that that they're, they're uh, celestial. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, epic. Well, it was. It's, I mean, at that time as well. You know, 1978. They were, you know, they were superheroes, weren't they? They weren't. Yes. They weren't even human. You know, they were nobody. Were, nobody really knew because there wasn't the internet and the media wasn't like it is now. Nobody knew what they looked like, and like you said, there was that whole unobtainable thing about them. That yeah. they were so different to every other band out there. That was what the other. Their, all their other ideas removed that that mystery, that mystique from them. You know what I mean? And they didn't like that. They wanted to remain. They wanted to be like that. Uh, yeah, they wanted to be the, the the superheroes. You know, and um, and so that 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 so Tim Sullivan strongly recommended Detroit Rock City to Michael DeLuca. He read it. He loved it a lot. Everybody thought like, oh yeah, this is the thing that we should be doing. Um, and it was amazing because I, I, I got, it was another one of those things like 1996 was a big year for Detroit Rock City. Uh, when it got to, into Barry Levine's hands, then two years later, it, uh, it got the fastest green light. It was, it, it was green lighted in like 17 days, I think, which is absurd. Usually it takes years and years for scripts to get, um, you know, green lighted. And, um, this one, it took days and the the upside of that is that you know they didn't have time to to mess around with the script and to rewrite it um and um it, it was it, oh and i i should tell you there was one there's one more amusing anecdote in that time bef when when it was at fox in between the time it was at fox and new line there was like a little dead space there and um kiss was getting kind of i don't know antsy about like they they weren't sure if they wanted to do it or they were you know they were they were um they were kind of like they were they were on the fence, and Barry Levine had this great idea. He said, "I want you to write two scripts." Or he said, "I want you." To, he said, "Don't rewrite the script." He said, "I just want you to do one thing in each script: 
come up with one for Aerosmith instead of Kiss and come up with one for a fictional band instead of Kiss. So I wrote two, and it wasn't really writing. I was just going in. I was very careful. Like most of the most of the story uh, doesn't hinge on every single little detail about Kiss. You know, it's about these kids too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I rewrote one for Aerosmith, and it was really hilarious because I found out that you know trivia, Aerosmith trivia. Steve Tyler apparently lost his virginity in a um, confessional booth. Apparently. <laughs> a total coincidence there i found that out after i don't know that might be it might be an internet thing though so no. <laughs> but anyway um that was one and then in the fictional um in the fictional band one i came up with this band i think i told you already but they were going to be like a yes type band or a uriah heat band and they were called uranus you know <laughs> and i so uh, but uh, so barry barry is like he went back. You know, he's smart. He's shrewd. He's like, he went back to Kiss. He's like, yeah, yeah, if you guys aren't on board, that's all right. We're going to. And he actually sent this one script, the, the Aerosmith one. He sent it to their manager just, just to say, you know, hey, this isn't, you know, you guys are, uh, you guys need this too. You know what I mean? So he kind of cajoled them into <laughs> signing on. They were still like, oh, we're not sure if we want to do this. So he's like, yeah, I sent this over to Aerosmith's manager. We really. And uh, they're like, how did you do that? It's about kids. They go, no, no, he rewrote it. It's about the, the story still holds up pretty good. So it's like I, I can pat myself on the back that the story was that solid that you, know, you, could, have, uh, you could change the bands out. And I didn't, and I, it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you know, you don't search and replace. You know, it was, it was a little bit of a rewrite, but it wasn't, it wasn't a huge rewrite. So yeah. I don't know. It was, it was pretty amusing, though. It was like one of those like Hollywood things, you know, um, little like movie things that happen. You must have been so pleased and obviously when you know the movie was greenlit that must have been a a good day for you. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh. It was huge. It was um it was uh, uh, uh you know just like um I don't know, I uh, I still kept waiting for like I was like some you know that that somebody pinch me sort of moment there. Um where you're not you're not sure if this is really happening and and I, I really I had like this experience very early on I had an experience that most writers uh, wait their entire careers for because I mean I, the sole credit thing is, is something you know just me getting sole credit um, and that's because they didn't have enough time to rewrite it <laughs> you know that, and, and Adam Rifkin kept calling me up and he was asking me like Oh, do you have a scene where this happens? We want a scene where we have the band Mystery playing in the garage. Do you have a scene where that's happening? I go, oh, yeah, because I had, I had um, this was the, the draft that they were working with had, it was tightened up, so there wasn't as much in the, the front end. And Adam Rifkin called me up and goes, oh, do you have a scene where this is happening? And I always had, I, the answer was always yes, I had something. So, the, so Detroit Rock City actually resembles more of like, uh, draft like say if uh, you know, the finished draft of Detroit Rock City was draft three, this was it resembled more draft two, so it's even more like um, what I had originally intended, you know. Um, and and uh, it was it was something that I worked on, like in my in in, in my little writing cave. It wasn't you know uh, it wasn't a, a hired gun project. Kiss didn't come to me and say, hey, we need a, a movie about us. 
you know, <laughs> I did it on my own. I got, and and so so it was it was, it was a, you know this this spec script it was a labor of love that wound up uh, paying off, you know, uh, and and that is like you know it's one of those experiences that um, uh, you know that a lot of people uh, are still waiting for um, back in uh, you know Hollywood there. So I got a so. I was very, I'm a very lucky writer. I'll just put it that way. I'm just a lucky writer, blessed. You know, that's that's you. It's huge. It's 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 a huge experience, and um, uh, I was very lucky to have it early on. You know, um, to have that happen. So, so the movie the movie's been greenlit, and then they start filming it. What was the first? Yeah. Were you? Well, what I like to know is how early on did you know about? A, the actors that were cast in the parts, and if they resembled the characters who you got in your mind's eye when you were creating these. Uh, and also, what was your first experience on the set of the movie and subsequent appearances on the set of the movie, too? Oh, yeah. Um, well, these characters, uh, it was really hilarious. Eddie Furlong is Hawk. I was like, that. that is pretty good. That's That, that was pretty good casting. Um, and then... Um, when I saw Trip, um, for some reason I was thinking like the, the that uh, the long hair like Hawk would have long hair. I wasn't thinking Trip would, but um, but that so that was like a little bit of a switch. But I got used to it, and then of course I I, I think um, uh, Jam that Sam Huntington his face was just so perfect for that part. That was like that was a slam dunk casting. Because like that's, I was like, oh yeah, that's what he looks like. I remember saying that to myself, like when I saw a picture, I was like, that's what he looks like. He's got to look like that, you know. That's just that's awesome. Um, Lex was the only one that was completely different from um, my original incarnation. Like, like what my vision of Lex was, um, uh, sort of like a, a scrawny kid with the acne and. Um, you know, glasses and, um, I don't know, braces, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. like that, like that kid from freaks and geeks, uh, the, the tall gawky kid, you know, like that's, that's, uh, what I thought Lex looks like, but, um, but, uh, Giuseppe was, uh, for him, like he, he sort of like, he got the internal deal down with that character. Like the, it was a brooding character he was he was pissed off a lot most of the time and he was uh, a scared of dogs he was scared crapless of dogs he was uh, <laughs> you know and, and he got all that down he was it was it was it was really cool and um jeez as far as my experience on the set um i i got i went up to toronto and the first thing i did the first thing the very first thing was I'm remembering this correctly. The very first thing was this um, concert at Cobo Hall, which of course was it was in Toronto. So I mean, where 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 was it? Ah, uh, the the name of the city is on the tip of my tongue. It's a little bit outside of Toronto, um, but uh, I'll probably think of it uh, after I <laughs> afterwards. I'll probably think of it. But anyway, it was. Um, uh, went to this uh, arena 
and they, they actually made me up. I was actually in the movie briefly, but I wound up on the cutting room floor. They gave me like these big, like sort of mutton chops. I looked like um, Neil Young, and uh, uh, they they gave me like the seventies um, wardrobe. And I appeared in a scene with with uh, my buddy Pete Shink, um, and we were we were just people in the audience cheering, and. Um, uh, that was really cool. That was really amazing. And to be on the set uh, of something like that, and KISS was, it was actually the members of KISS. And there was Ace Freely, like on the stage. And I, I, had, I had already met them. I had uh, met them at a, um, a photography session that Barry Levine had when he was shooting uh, the, the tour book um, for when they, when they got the makeup uh Back on in '96, I remember I, I had uh, I had gone to their studio and and hung out with them very briefly, but it was really cool. Anyway, there was Kiss. Kiss was on the stage, and Ace Freely was um, he was uh, he had this guitar solo, and he, and and the the guitar was supposed to smoke, you know, but the stage hands were having trouble getting the getting the smoke to come out of the guitar, and it kept ruining the take take after take. The guitar wasn't wasn't smoking, and I just remember uh, Ace Freely like he's just going. I think this guitar is too young to smoke. You know, <laughs> he's really random. Like I, I just like cracking up, and uh, I don't know. Like that's that's a moment I remember. Uh, I remember them getting out the, um, the 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 tongue cam. They were. I remember that. That was really so. And I, I don't know if they have any behind the scenes footage of that tongue cam, but but that that thing was just. Uh, that thing was one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> and makeup effects people and KMD, KND rather, were responsible for making that. But it was, uh, it's pretty amazing. And this um, with Adam Rifkin as well, though. He's, in a lot of his films, he comes up with some sort of ingenious camera angles <laughs> in a lot of the stuff he does. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was brilliant. That that tongue cam thing was great. And I remember, like, a, a, um, Entertainment Weekly had like the best shot of 19 or oh, whatever it was 1999 best shot um and i believe that was um that was uh you know the be best camera angle or something it won this award <laughs> excuse me for the best of the best of 1999 it was pretty cool it just showed the the, the still i was like oh nice um and and then the next day we were at the uh the warp radio station uh, where they, you know, they're in the elevator and they beat one another up in the elevator, seeing how they initially find out that um, the tickets are um, uh, that they they no longer have the tickets, and that was cool. It was it was it was a very heady experience. I kept getting you know, people were like running around with microphones and cameras, and uh, you know, I definitely uh, felt like uh, you know I, I I was kind of a celebrity on the set, I guess. You know, um, people running up to me asking me questions, and um, you know, it was it was um, it was a pretty heady experience. It was it was just it was heady. Um, just looking around as a writer, um, looking around and realizing like the stuff was in your head, and then you put it on a piece of paper, and now it's real. You know, there is something. Uh, it, it, it it just just amazing about like you almost feel like you're uh, a wizard or something you know <laughs> like the, the stuff just ha you know I'll put it on the paper and now it's happening 
and um, so um, it was it was it was a really really cool experience. It was um, uh, a great uh, onset experience. It wasn't a long one. It was you know it's it just it was a day, but um, uh, you know writers writers on movie sets are kind of like you know that's the you, the only person I learned that you the, the only two people you don't want to see on the set are the writer and the editor because uh, that means that they're there are problems. No, they were, no, I'm just kidding around. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's a director's medium, and um, the fact that Adam Rifkin, uh, uh, you know, he's he's a friend of mine anyway, so it's all good. Um, but it's 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 really nice when um, a, a writer is welcomed on the set of uh, of the movie uh, that he wrote. It's really it's really awesome, and um, that was uh, that was a great experience. Uh, oh, I also the end of that day, the end of that day, they started shooting at um they started shooting the 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 scene with father mcnulty and so i got i got to meet windsor windsor canada windsor that was the name of it okay so that's where the that's where the concert was shot in windsor canada all right anyway uh all right so back to uh joe um flaherty was um the guy who played father mcnulty and me and my brothers used to um, watch uh, Second City TV all the time when we were little kids. And I just remember chilling out with uh, Joe Flaherty. You know, he was, uh, we are just like, you know, he was having a cigarette. I remember that. He was like having a smoke break. And I was talking to him. And, and um, he, he, we had this really nice conversation. And uh, I just, uh, I got to tell him. It's like one of these weird experiences where I got to tell this guy, I'm like, wow. You know, I grew up watching SCTV and, you know, Count Floyd and, like, all these characters. The, the, uh, he played a character, he played a newscaster named Hugh Betcha. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just great, like, just, just, just chilling with Joe Flaherty was, like, one of those, it's just a moment. It's just, like, uh, um, like a fantasy moment, just, just uh, you know, uh, this is, that's what it's all about. It's, um, that's why you get into making movies. Not like that's the exclusive reason, but but you get into making movies because like like these experiences that um, uh, can happen. You know, you're you're, you're inviting um, the possibility for for all these like really wonderful experiences to happen in your like everyday working life. You know, um, it's just a, you know when it when it when it's when when it's good, it really is a dream job. It really really is, um, and uh, yeah, that's. Uh, so it was good. It was it was the the Detroit on set experience of Detroit Rock City was uh, was uh, pretty terrific. Oh, excellent! And you mentioned you just mentioned about character names there as well, and you snuck in a couple of character names that Kiss fans will pick up on. Obviously, in Detroit Rock City with uh, Beth and Christine, with the, mm-hmm. with the, <laughs> which is which is always got obviously the Kiss fans that that would watch it would, would maybe not pick up on that. But there's little things like that all the way through, that you know if if you're the the, the more of a Kiss fan you are, there's little things that you're going to pick up on more. But when they talk about, um, oh, Kiss will never do a disco song, and all little things like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, yeah, we um, really tried to to do something. You know, it was a movie about fans. Uh, it was a movie for the fans. You know, um, that that's and and that was. I was really grateful. Like. You know, at the beginning of the write, the writing process, the beginning of the writing process, I had Pete Schenk there, 
who was like this huge Kiss fan. And then Adam Rifkin, who, uh, you know, got into Kiss a lot, too. And um, he was there sort of like uh, when I was writing the script. It's, these are just so, such weird experiences. But, um, you know, I, I, I was working on uh, an Adam Rifkin. I think it was The Chase was the name of the Adam Rifkin movie that I was working on. When I was really, like, trying to, um, you know, put the pedal to the metal. Um on, on finishing a draft of that. So I was picking his brain on things, you know what I mean? On 1978, and, like, I'm writing this script uh, about kids going to see a KISS concert. So, like, that was happening. And then at the end of the writing process, to have Tim Sullivan there, who um, he also, you know, peppered um, the, the script with um, a lot of great little things. And then, I mean... You know, everybody that they brought on board, the, the music supervisors, the production designers, the um, cinematographer, were all they all brought stuff to that movie, too. Um, that Smiley Mart, um, the inside of the Smiley Mart was just incredible. You know, with, like, the just the, the, the mood rings and the Hustler magazine and the, you know, <laughs> These just like uh, the pet rocks, you know, all this stuff was just sitting there. Um, that um, you, you know, like that—that that stuff that wasn't in the script. A lot of it wasn't in the script. A lot of it was just like you could tell, like these guys really, uh, and the guys and girls—they wanted to uh, make sure that this rang true, and to have as much uh, atmosphere as possible, and. Um, yeah, I mean, and and if you if you're a Kiss fan, then yes, you will uh, enjoy a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I mean, I did I did write the part with the kid in the Ace Freely makeup though. He really did have a in 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 my script. He did have Ace Freely makeup on. Um, so that was that was something that was in the script. But uh, but I mean, you know, there are other things where it's just you know these little like these little tidbits. Um, people walking around, you know, the crowd scene. With people walking around and most of them being in the kiss makeup and all, I mean, just to, you know, there there are a lot of people who uh, you could tell they loved Kiss and they wanted to do all their, uh, you know, they wanted to bring um, bring that to the table. I think it's true of all Kiss fans as well, isn't it? That we all we love the detail. We want to find out as much detail as we can about the band, and then obviously when there's a film uh-huh. about them, you know, the the more little details there are in there for the fans, the better. Oh yeah, 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 totally, totally, yeah. It's uh. It, it was um, it was good to, um, to you know. I sort of drew upon my own um, uh, sort of uh, I don't know, uh, drawing upon my own experience, and then just having all these other people around who uh, you know that the, 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 there's something about um, you know when when you when you have kiss in the script, there's a lot of opportunities to uh, to to just. Uh, have all these details in yeah. there that, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of there's, there was probably like a fire, I want to say there's like a firehouse reference. I'm trying to think of that. When I was, when I was writing the script, like, there's some scene that took place where they had like, like I was working like, I was working kiss titles into it. It got a little ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> I had to back away again. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. Um, it's good, good stuff. It really was, yeah. Can you tell good me about experience. your experience of 
the very first time that you watched the finished movie? You know, where was it and when was it and what was it like? Mm. Yeah, um, they had a screening of it um, uh, at, where was it? Was it at New Line? I think it was at a theater, actually, on the, the, the Fox lot, ironically. Um, and it, was, um, it wasn't a cast and, and crew screening. It was more of a, a sort of, it was an industry screening. And I went and I, I, I saw it, and um, I just couldn't believe, like, it was um, to watch, you know, pages and pages of this dialogue that I had written. And um, they wanted to, to get an R rating, so they did um, throw in a lot of uh, F-bombs, shall we say. Uh, and there, there were a little, little ad-libs here and there, tweaks on lines, but, but overall... Uh, this was, you know, it was, it was my, it was my script playing on the screen. And I was just sitting there. I was like, oh my God. I said, I said, if anybody has any, like, if anybody has any issue with this movie, this is, this is, it's, it's, it, they can come back to me. I mean, the buck stops with me on this one, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I love the way Adam Rifkin shot it too. The, 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 the like, I wouldn't have shot it that way. I, I think I probably would have shot at them um, more like um, it just you know sit, uh, planting the camera in one place and letting the characters run around but I, I did love the way he had the camera swooping all over the place and, and, and I mean it was uh, it actually added a third dimension to the movie I thought um, so, I mean there was that and uh, I, I I had this. I just had this big smile on my face the whole time. I was like, "Wow, this is really this is my this is my kind of movie." You know, this is the movie that I. Uh, <laughs> this is like a movie that I always wanted to see. You know, and um, um, just uh, uh, just a, a tremendous amount of satisfaction and joy with with the finished product. I, I really did not have. Um, I, I had no issues with. Um, with how how it turned out it was uh it was definitely you know um i was surprised at what like there are things that when you're writing you think they're going to be funny and they're not and then there are other things that you, when you're writing like jo jokes worked better there were some jokes that worked better than i thought they ever could and then there were other jokes there were that that, that were just like little chuckles here and there and i was like wow i thought that was going to get a big laugh but then there was something else that um you know would get a big laugh uh, that I wasn't expecting it to. A lot of that's like, you know, I saw it a few times. And I know, of course, if you see a movie multiple times with an audience, the audience reacts differently to different things. You yeah. know, uh, they'll laugh at at some places in one screening, and then you go to the next one, and they're not laughing at those places. And then you know, but so a lot of it's like just I guess what's in the air, what the atmosphere is like. But um, it was tremendously uh, uh, rewarding experience seeing it finally on the screen, and um, and you know that, that that's one of the reasons why uh, you know people like me want to get into making movies. It's not just like, hey, I can do that, you know. I can I can make that. I can do that. I, I you know I um, you're watching a movie and like I can do that. Um, it's more like. You know what? I can. I there's something that I'm not seeing that I can do. You know what I mean? Or I can do this better than that. You know what I mean? Like I, I could do this, but better. Yeah. You know, uh, there's there's definitely when when you want to make a movie, you're feeling like there's 
there's a space, there's a void out there, and you've got just a thing for that void, that missing puzzle piece, whatever it is. And I felt like Detroit Rock City. That was it. That was my that was my tile in the mosaic. It was it was that missing puzzle piece <laughs> you know, that I was able to put in there, you know. Um, and yeah, so so paid in full, uh, we'll say. Just you know, that's what the, I'm paid in full. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the, I'm going to put you right on the spot now, Carl, as well, because speaking as a Kiss fan, we love. Uh, well, what if situations? You know, what if the original, the original four had stayed together? What if they'd never taken off the makeup? So I'm going to put oh. to you, I'm going to put a what if to you, Carl. What oh. if there was a Detroit Rock City two, set now with the same characters? So we're like we're in 2015. What would the what would Lex, Trip, Hawk, and Jam be doing now? What would they think of Kiss now? <laughs> Oh my God, that is such a. I'm sorry um, about that. I know I put you right on the spot with that one. <laughs> is it a can of worms? I don't think so. It's just like wow, you, my 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 head just exploded there, because I'm gonna tell you, I think that um, I think that Jam would still be. Um, he, he oh no. Hang on, give me a second. Here. <laughs> it's a tough one. Okay. I know this is a tough one. All right, I think Jam would be the one that would like. He'd be looking like you know, because he's the most like me. He'd be looking like like a Kiss was the one. You know, for me, Kiss was like that that place in time. And yes, you know that I, I, I'm not discounting everything they've done afterwards has been um, you know significant in terms of like you know they 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 there's some. Really great songs they put together, but it was nothing like that original lineup with the original makeup. All right, mm-hmm. I think Lex um, would be uh, like. I think Lex and Trip would be the like they would have stuck with Kiss this whole time. Lex and Trip would be the guys that stuck with Kiss, and like they would have been, you know. Um, Going, going through everything, um, and go, you know, going to the concerts, you know, going to the, every every year, going to a Kiss concert. You know what I mean? Just like they would have been um, uh, right there, and uh, they would have known like all the the albums that uh, Bruce Kulick played on. They would have known all the albums. You know what I mean? That Eric Singer played on, and then um, I think Hawk would be like totally disgusted. He'd be like the uh, he'd be just like totally totally disgusted. Uh, and he would be the character that would get brought back in. You know what I mean? He would, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, because I'm thinking, like, if you're going to make a Detroit Rock City sequel, Kiss has to be in it, and Kiss has to be sort of the Holy Grail again, you know? But Hawk would be the one who would be like, oh, those guys, they just all, they, they just want money. They just this, that, and the other <laughs> thing. You know, they're the big sellout. And, like, he's the one that they have to, like, pull back. And, like, uh, you know, they they'd wind up getting back together again and seeing Kiss uh, one more time as this, a quartet. This could be it, couldn't it? Because Kiss fans always, you know, I think one thing general consensus is what Kiss fans would like to see is their the final ever concert of Kiss, where the original four get back together and play. Uh, I mean, that would be the ideal yeah. setting for Detroit Rock City too, where you know. Like strip oh hawk and jam, they've got to get to that concert. It's the last time we're ever going to see, and it's the original four yeah. again. Yes, that's that's hilarious. That's great. 
That's good. All right, I like that. Let's do it. Let's get them. Let's get all the people on the phone. Here. <laughs> this is it. This is where it started. <laughs> and this is where it started. We gotta get Kiss on. We gotta get. Remember, we gotta. We gotta get Kiss first. Then we'll. We'll start with the other stuff. Uh, <laughs> no, but I really, I do. Uh, I hope that happens again. And I think we we had we touched upon this on our on the last conversation. But um, you know, I think that would be a nice thing to have happen. You know, and to, uh, sort of just like do that. Do that thing for the fans, you know. Yeah, just just to put a bookend on it, really, if nothing else. Yeah, why why not? Why not? That, but that's that's a great idea for Detroit <laughs> Rock City. I can I can already see like Lex and Trip having these conversations about, um, you know, like because they would they would like different. I think they would like different incarnations of Kiss, even though they've been, um, you know, they've been the ones that uh, have been going to see them through the years consistently. Yeah, you know, um, and somebody does like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bruce Kulin, like you know, just just somebody does like uh, Eric Carr, somebody likes, uh, you know, just just having the conversations going back and forth, uh, and having them having like disagreements about that <laughs> '90s Kiss versus well, it's early '90s Kiss, late '80s Kiss. I, I don't, you know, like like I can see those conversations. Oh yeah, start bubble up. And, um, you know, Jam having the wife and kids. I think Jam would have a wife and kids. I don't know. Maybe divorced. <laughs> Hawk, Hawk is this, like, sons of anarchy guy. That's what I just think he'd be like. Oh, it's like, and he'd be like a loner. You know what I mean? That would be pretty funny, actually. I think Hawk would be like this this total outcast. He's like, you know what I mean? He's a rebel. The rebel to the end, you know. Um, and yeah, the other guys like, like I don't know. I think ironically, I think um, Jan would be like the happily married one, but he married a woman who's just like his mom, you know. And then, um, uh, you know, the, these other guys have their have their things going on, but maybe, uh, you know, the, it, it, you could you could get into um, a whole bunch of. Uh, that, you know, like a trip. He's you know he got this twenty year old girlfriend. I don't know. It could it just like uh, go to town. <laughs> it like, sounds, it sounds good already. I'm giving I'm giving you six weeks to write it, Carl. There you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, oh my god. Um. You know, I feel so ashamed of myself. I wish I could remember the name of this song. Is it Shandy? Yeah, Is that the name of it? From a mast, yeah. Is that the one you're thinking of? He could have a, he could have a girlfriend named Shandy, <laughs> so we can <laughs> so we can keep naming girls after Kiss song. That's a, <laughs> that's a thing that happens in these movies. But um, anyway, yeah, that's good. It's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. I like it. That'll be all right. Well, I've got Adam Rifkin coming on the show next month, so that'll be the next stage. I'll push it to him too. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's great. Well, before. Um, before we finish this up, Carl, I want to make sure as well, is there anything um, out there you'd like to let the listeners know, you know, about yourself? What are you up to lately, too, since we last recorded? Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, the biggest right now, the biggest one, and I guess we're just going to keep it consistent. The biggest news is that Detroit Rock City is out on Blu-ray. That's the, <laughs> that's the biggest news. But, um, yes, I'm, uh, I'm working on some ideas for uh, one-hour uh, drama 
TV series. Um, you know, I've got a couple of I, couple of ideas and uh, a couple of uh, connections there, um, which uh, you know they they they'd be sort of like uh, there's uh, one series about the Civil War, which I want to do a one hour uh, like a one hour drama, you know, multi season type thing um, for like Netflix or or, or Amazon. You know, that type of thing. Try to try to get the next Breaking Bad going. You know what I mean? And then um, there's another one which is more of like uh, sort of an epic, uh, historical epic, like like kind of like the Tudors or or Game of Thrones. You know, um, um, but again, uh, stuff that that's all I can say about them right now. But uh, that's what I'm dabbling in, um, trying to get that going because it it seems like that's like the next. Uh, it's the next big thing, at least the, the, the next thing that I want to do. Yeah. You know, is something like that. Um, so. Well, it's always, you know, keep, me, keep me updated and then, you know, I can pass it on to the listeners, you know, through the website and social media and so on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I will. And look, again, as always, all the details of um, where you, the listener, can find and follow Carl online will be in the podcast notes on our website, too. Um, Carl, once again, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved chatting to you. I've been looking forward to this Detroit Rock City chat. And uh, I did, for those that are listening and follow uh, 60 Minutes With on Facebook and Twitter, I did tweet before we started recording. Uh, you were so kind. I mean, we talked about it in the, the, the episode one of this when I talked to you uh, of how we met on the set of Hellraiser Hellworld. But after that, when you got home, you were so kind and you sent me a care package full of like all kiss detroit rock city stuff those backstage passes and stickers uh even detroit rock city uh lip balm and i've still got i keep everything still still in that little the, the package that you sent it in and it's yeah it's my little holy grail of detroit rock city stuff so it's good to thank you once again personally carl because it's so as you can see uh what is it 13 years afterwards now i, I keep it all really safe and it's treasured nice nice well thank you it's nice to uh, it's nice to know that i uh I, I figured I uh, I sent it to the right person, and you'll uh, keep it uh, keep it safe and 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 pristine. You know uh, that that's that's awesome. Oh yes, yeah, really cool. it's uh, it's it's like hand me down now to my son. It'll be passed through generations. You've got to keep this I, safe. It means a lot. <laughs> wow, well, that, that that's that's terrific, and um, it is. That's uh, you know that that's I say it said it before. I'll say it again. That's what. That's what this uh, movie is about. It's about the fans. And it was for the fans, and you know that's. Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm so I'm so glad that um, I was able to bring something to um, at least one Kiss fans uh, uh, life. <laughs> oh no, it's, I know many Kiss fans who talk um, very highly of Detroit Rock City and love the film. You know, it is a it is a love letter to Kiss. Uh, it it is it is indeed. It is indeed, and uh, yeah, that's it. You know, you take that. Uh, we can pass something along, uh, even if it's one thing. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, whatever. It's a, it's a, it's, it's worth doing. It was it was well, well worth doing, and um, I just uh, I couldn't be happier. So, good stuff. Well, yeah, like I said, it's been again a pleasure chatting to you. Uh, I'm sure we'll chat again. And, yeah, just keep me updated on everything you do, and I look forward to it and every success with everything that you do as well. All right. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much, Carl. I'll speak to you again now. Right, take care. 
Once again, it's the end of another show. Uh, hopefully you all found out a few more nuggets of information and trivia about Detroit Rock City. I know I did, for one. Uh, and like I said, um, during the conversation with uh, Carl, all the ways that you can find and follow him online will be on our webpage. And what you have to do is just go to uh, 60minuteswith.co.uk. That's a numerical 60, not alphabetical. On there, there is a contact us form. In case you want to send us uh, any type of email, that's fine. You can email us directly as well. Contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash 60 Minutes With. And you can also follow us on Twitter, which is at 60 Minutes With. Uh, iTunes reviews are always kindly received uh, and gratefully received and do make a difference uh, in trying to get some guests as well. So if you would uh, care to take a few minutes and leave a review, you'll be helping the show uh, to get some more guests too, which is always a good thing. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Carl for coming back on the show once again. Uh, and also to thank you, whoever you are, wherever you are, for listening. And please keep those uh, subscriptions active, however you may subscribe to the show. Because uh, as I mentioned uh, as well, uh, one guest that I'm going to have next month is the director of Detroit Rock City, Adam Rifkin. I'm looking forward to some more stories about the movie from him, as well as stuff like I'm a big fan of Psycho Cop Returns that he directed as well. So there's going to be all sorts of stories from Adam. But between now and then, we've got uh, another entertainment show. Uh, we've got a new format show coming, where myself and Tina uh, do an episode-by-episode breakdown of my favourite American uh, TV comedy, Married with Children. The first episode of that will be uh, the next one that will be released after this and of course I've got more interviews planned so keep an eye on our social media when I'll be announcing uh, who else I'm going to be chatting with so thank you for listening um, and I'll be back very soon with another show <laughs>